Hello there and welcome to Platt's Brussels to Beijing policy podcast, where we examine how changes in regulation policy affect commodity markets in Europe and across Asia. Well, unless we see a last-minute climb down, the US will, on July the 6th, put tariffs on an estimated $34 billion of Chinese imports, firing the first shots in what many are describing as a trade war against China. The U.S. says it will extend further tariffs on a further 16 billion of Chinese exports, bringing the total to 50 billion, which mainly targets Chinese industrial and manufactured goods going to the USA. However, on July the 6th, China will retaliate, levying an additional 25% tariff on an estimated 34 billion of U.S. imports of agricultural products and commodities and motor cars into China. It has yet to be determined when China plans to levy the second set of tariffs it's announced, but the list targets chemicals, medical equipment and energy commodities. I'm Sebastian Lewis, Head of Content for Greater China here at Platts, and I'm joined today by Oceana Zhou, Senior Writer, Oil News, Abachi Abro, Editorial Lead in LNG, and Samar Niazi, Editor in our Agriculture Teams. Welcome, everyone. Summer, more than half of U.S. exports of soybeans go to China, and they are by a long way the most significant in terms of value. They were worth about $12 billion in 2017, according to U.S. Census Bureau trade data. The tariffs will be applied starting July the 6th. What's this going to mean for the U.S. and its soybean exporters? Hi, Sebastian. China imported around 97 million metric tons of soybeans in 2017-18, out of which the U.S. share in 2017 was 31.7 million metric tons, which carried a total value of around 12.2 billion U.S. dollars. The rest comes from South America, in large part from Brazil. Chinese sanctions will hit all U.S. agri-imports, ranging from soybeans to ethanol to U.S. beef. So China has a very potent weapon against Trump in the form of agriculture tariffs that would hit the U.S. farm states very squarely. While China's demand for soybeans is too large to be solely catered for by South America, even if China cuts its U.S. soybeans imports by half, it will mean $6 billion in lost sales on soybeans alone. So China is unable to get out of buying U.S. soybeans for now. Brazil produced 119 million metric tons of soybeans in 2017-18, and it has domestic demand as well, so it can't sell all of its soybeans to China. Traders estimate that Brazil may sell between 55 and 60 million metric tons of soybeans to China this year. There are guesses around how the rest of the Chinese demand will be fulfilled. The Chinese have already begun to look for alternatives. They're buying sunflower meal. They're buying soybeans from the Black Sea, although that's a very small production. They are also expected to buy palm meal from Southeast Asia. They should also buy between 10 and 20 million metric tons of U.S. soybeans. And the traders expect that they will substitute dried distiller grains, which are an ethanol byproduct and may also be called DDGs instead of U.S. soybeans, which is a much cheaper, smaller ticket item, even though they may partially come from the U.S. To give you a price comparison, June DDGs were at $182 a metric ton FOB NOLA in the U.S. Gulf, while August soybeans were at $348 a metric ton FOB U.S. Gulf. 
to the 348 metric ton, you add a freight of $42 a metric ton, which gives you $390 a metric ton, and a 25% tax, while DDGs would only be $224 a metric ton SIF China plus 25% tax. So you will see the cheaper feed substitutes for more expensive fare. So what it sounds like is that China actually is going to be able to substitute some of its soybeans with other products, and it's actually not going to impact um, animal feed in China. China will fulfill its animal feed requirements because of the domestic demand. It has to. What will happen, though, is that the amount of U.S. soybeans going out right now will be cut drastically. People do estimate that that cut could be between 50 to 75 percent, and that is enough to impact sales from the U.S. And what about the trade flows? How are we going to see the trade flow shift, do you think? The trade flows have already begun to shift. Uh, Brazil is setting a record amount of beans to China this year, and different smaller meals are coming in from the Black Sea, Asia, and Southeast Asia. The U.S. flows will reduce and shift between commodities, but overall we expect to see less trade from the U.S. Finally, um, if South America starts selling large quantities of beans to China, that region may begin to import more U.S. soybeans. So interestingly enough, South America may import U.S. soybeans, but then increase exports to China. Very interesting. Oceana, let's move on to the energy. We don't know when the tariffs are actually levied on energy commodities, and they are less significant than soybeans in terms of total trade. But, you know, energy and crude oil in particular has seen incredible growth, over a thousand percent in just one year, from about $0.3 billion in 2016 to over $4 billion in 2017, according to the U.S. Census Bureau trade data. And the trend is continuing with more than a third of U.S. crude exports in terms of volumes this year going to China. What could these tariffs mean for U.S. exports? That means if the 25% tariff really happens, China will stop taking any U.S. crude oil which means the uh, U.S. needs to find other homes for its crude exports, such as in Europe or elsewhere in Asia. Good news could be that uh, without Chinese buyers, WTI or other U.S. crude grades could see deeper discounts to Brent, which may spur new buyers for U.S. crude or increase purchase from the traditional buyers like Canada and uh, Western Europe. So will this change trade flows if WTI gets more discounted against Brent and we saw more U.S. crude going to Europe? Will we see more European North Sea crude, do you think, going into China? Yeah, you're right. That's true. Uh, we may see the trade flow change. And also maybe we'll see uh, the Chinese buyers could return to its traditional suppliers to make up the uh, shortfall like uh, from West Africa and uh, North Sea or Middle East. There's no date yet that these tariffs will get enacted. But are buyers already showing caution? In other words, they don't want to buy a cargo now and find out it could be applied to tariffs when it lands in China. What's actually happening right now? Are we seeing more changes in the way Chinese buyers are booking U.S. crude? Actually, the biggest uh, China trading company, Unipac, the state-owned one, booked 16 million barrels uh, of U.S. crude for June loading. That means uh, China maybe will take these barrels delivery late July or August. 
So there's lots of uncertainty there if uh, the tariff happened suddenly or something. So Chinese buyers already very cautioned uh, when buying U.S. crude oil. But for the independent refineries, which actually was quite active buying U.S. crude oil, has suspended their buying for quite a few months. But it's not because of the tariff issue. Uh, it's more because the U.S. crude oil is not that suitable for them. The crude oil may be either too light or too sour. And also in the energy space, the other impact is going to be on Chinese imports of U.S. LPG. U.S. exports of LPG to China were around $2 billion last year, about half that of crude oil, and most of that was propane. What will happen if tariffs are levied on this product as well? Will China be able to replace that with other sources, for example, LPG from the Middle East? Yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, my sources told me that they could get more propane uh, from Middle East to replace the supplies from the U.S. In fact, it could be the same logic as uh, crude oil trade flow. Once uh, Chinese buyers leave, uh, U.S. products price may fall, then attract buying interest from other buyers like Japan, uh, South Korea, which leave a part of their typical Middle East supplies available for China. Some North Asian buyers said actually they are already smell of money at the moment. So again, it sounds like falling prices in the U.S. will hurt U.S. exporters, but at the same time, just going to reshape the trade flows. Abachi, I mean, I think I, along with many people, were surprised to see that the U.S. LNG did not have tariffs applied to it. I mean, it's smaller than either crude or LPG. Exports to China are about half a billion dollars last year. But like crude oil, it's seen incredible growth with the value of exports to China rising more than three times in 2017 over the previous year. And China is on track this year to become the largest buyer of US LNG. Why didn't they apply tariffs to LNG? Thank you, Sebastian. Um, China definitely has uh, alternative energy and LNG options, but it also has reasons why it would not want its access to US LNG in particular to be affected. First of all, um, LNG is playing a growing role in energy, in China's energy security. Um, GDP is growing, industry is recovering, and coal to gas switching is a priority uh, for Beijing. On the other hand, domestic gas is unable to keep up, and, and neither are pipeline imports. So LNG is needed to bridge that gap in meat consumption. Second of all, uh, China's dependence on US LNG is growing. Uh, supplies from the legacy producers in uh, Southeast Asia are declining. Uh, these countries are faced with uh, falling upstream reserves and, and growing domestic consumption as well. And um, the availability from Eastern Australia is limited. Uh, over there you have domestic gas prices creating political opposition to, to LNG exports. So you have a situation where the share of US LNG in China's gas market, while still relatively small, is growing and quite rapidly. The third point I want to make is that it seems we've moved past the point of LNG oversupply with uh, demand from China and uh, emerging buyers rebalancing fundamentals, uh, 
much quicker than expected. The, the Platts JKM averaged uh, more than $9 per MMBTU in the first half of this year. And so it's um, very clear that that sense of buyer confidence has been affected as a result. And uh, those trade inflows from the Atlantic and also from the U.S. Gulf Coast uh, have become vital to meet Asia's demand and also to balance the regional fundamentals. And Chinese buyers know that. The last point I want to make is, is flexibility. Uh, yes, US LNG is a freight disadvantaged in Asia relative to Australia or uh, Qatar, but its inherent flexibility gives it a competitive advantage against those two major exporters. Flexibility is key in a commoditizing, in a developing industry, especially for Chinese uh, state importers, because they need to find ways to, to mitigate the risks that are emerging in their own uh, domestic uh, markets that are liberalizing and becoming more and more competitive. How? Uh, through greater flexibility in international LNG supply agreements. Uh, flexibility which forms the, the basis of the US LNG business supply model. Well, thank you, Abachi. Well, it sounds, bringing it all together, whether it's ags, whether it's crude oil, or actually, in fact, it's any other commodity, one way or another, these Chinese tariffs on U.S. commodities are going to be affecting the markets bigly. How this all plays out, I guess only time can tell. But you can be sure that Platts will be there covering these developments as they affect the markets. So thank you very much for listening. That's all from us here in Asia, from Brussels to Beijing. We look forward to seeing you next time. Mm -hmm.